an amazing city. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Um, but yeah, I think I mean, we're very, very honored to be able to be here today and to be able to speak to you. Jake and I are just kind of going to share a bit about God dwelling amongst his people. Um, so yeah, I hope you guys enjoy, and I hope that the Spirit really leads this time. Amen. How are you guys doing today? Awesome. I'm excited about today. I'm excited about uh, sharing the word with you guys. Uh, I'm also excited for the games and stuff that we're going to have afterwards. Uh, I think there's dodgeball. Uh, I think uh, touch rugby will be played. And um, so a, ch- a challenge to you guys, actually, is uh, I have never in my life lost a game of touch rugby. It's, it, it may or may not have something to do. Uh, yeah, it, it might be because I've never played, but we won't, we won't talk about those things. But uh, yes, today as Abigail and I talk about God dwelling with us, um, I want to make this a little bit interactive. So uh, you might read a scripture, you might answer a question. Uh, I don't want to be the only one speaking, I don't want Abigail to be the only one speaking. And, uh, but I really do believe that the story of God is the most beautiful story that there has ever been. Yeah. And, uh, and so I want to go through some of what that story is. Uh, but firstly, what would you say the main point of Christianity is? I mean, there might be a few main points. I don't know. What do you think the main point of Christianity is? Yeah, it's okay just to, it's okay just to throw out some thoughts. There's, uh, there's no uh, incorrect or correct answer, so to speak. What, what do you think is the main point or a main point? Yeah, Dylan. Love the Lord your God with Yeah, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay. Say? Okay, bringing the kingdom of God here. Yeah, you were saying? Reconciling the world back to God. Okay, yeah, reconciling yeah, the world back to God. Becoming like Jesus. Becoming like Jesus. Okay. You can see, you can see a theme coming out here, you know? And, uh, and I, I can see how those could be the main points of Christianity. And uh, with the main point of Christianity, I want to start from the very beginning and give a, a wide angle of what Christianity, Christianity could possibly be about. So let's start in Genesis chapter 1, why don't we? Genesis chapter 1. It's uh, around the first page of the Bible. And uh, can I ask someone to read verse 26 and 27? Someone can just read it for us. Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27. Please, yeah. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image. In our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Thank you. So this is the culmination point of God creating the entire world. And now he has made us, he has made humanity, and he has made us in his image. Now, this is the way God wanted the world to be. Um, but let's, let me ask you another question. How would you want to be treated in this world? How do you desire to be treated? Okay, with love. I'm going to write these down. We might need this later. Okay, with love. Respect. Justice. Justice. Kindness. Patience. With patience, with mercy, with mercy 
Honesty. With honesty. I want to be someone that's valued. My thoughts and input is valued in a, in a community. So I want to be valued. What else? Treated fairly. Treated fairly. I asked this question once to a group of people and someone said, I want to be treated like an egg. <laughs> Soft and gentle. I was like, that's a great one. I want to be treated like an egg. So that's how we want to be treated in this world. But how did God design us? It says in the scripture that he made us in his image. And for the longest time of my disciple life, I didn't really have a grasp of what it meant to be made in the image of God. I thought it was something to do with like, you know, God was himself and he made us to be similar. You know, maybe we can, we can reason or we can have thoughts. You know, we're, that's, what, that's what separates us from animals in a way, right? We don't just act on instinct. Maybe, maybe that's what it could be. Uh, but once I got a deeper grasp of what it means to be made in the image of God, it became much more beautiful. And uh, you can look at different scriptures that reference the word image. They also reference the word idol in the same way. That God designed you to be an idol, to be a statue in the middle of his temple. Instead of the other gods that were represented by wood or stone or metal or something that the humans made to worship that god, that idol or statue being a physical representation of whatever God they believed existed. God wanted you to be the physical representation of himself to the entire world. And that is a world where every person that existed reflects God's character perfectly and reflects God's will and his rule and his authority. And everyone acted just like God would act. And everyone treated each other just like God would treat each other. Now, wouldn't that be a beautiful world to live in? And just from the very beginning, that, I think, is the main point of Christianity. For all humanity to be just like God. Okay. So then, how does the Bible describe God? Give Give me some things that the Bible describes God as. If we were meant to be just like Him. Good. Loving. Say that again. Justice. Holy. Patient. Kind. Jealous. Yes. So maybe he loves tremendously. You could also say with justice, that means hating evil. Or wanting to correct things that are wrong. And if you notice... Anytime I've asked these questions, there is always an uncanny similarity to God's character and the way we want to be treated. You guys said the exact same things for who God is and how you want to be treated. It's almost as if God made you to act that way. And maybe that's why we're so frustrated with the way we see the world. Let's look at Genesis 5 and see what happened to God's beautiful world. Genesis 5, I'll read this one. In just verse 1, it says, This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them. He named them mankind when they were created. And when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness and in his own image, And he named him Seth. So this is after Adam and Eve 
born and made to live in the image of God, has decided not to take God's will, but to grasp their own will. They've decided to make their own decision instead of following through with God's decisions. And the consequence of that wasn't just a simple mistake that can be like, let's just not do that again. But what happened there is they, they took the image of God, and instead of saying, I want to reflect God all the time, they said, I'm going to reflect myself right now. I'm going to make my own decision. So it took that perfect image, God's perfect world, and it was broken. And that makes a lot of sense, because if you look around the world you live at right now, do you really think it's a world where everyone is reflecting who God is right now? No. It looks like a world of a broken image, where there, are, there is a capacity that people have to be good and to be gracious and to be kind. But there's also a big capacity that's shown of people making their own decisions that leads to tragedy. And that's the world where we find ourselves right now. Just a few pages into the Bible, we have the perfect creation already messed up. But God doesn't want it to stop right there. We have a lot of Bible left. And so we're going to go through the story of the scriptures and, and touch on some points of what God is doing to bring us back into Eden, the perfect place where heaven and earth were united. So let's see how that story unfolds. Amen. So since Eden and since the fall, God has been reaching out time and time again to his people, hoping that they would once again simply be with him. He looked upon the earth and he saw Noah, right? And he saw his righteousness and he parted with Noah to bring forth his people and his story and his self. And he saw Abraham and he established a covenant with Abraham. And then God became known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as he partnered with these men, bringing his character to the world, hoping that they would be with him and walk with him and bring his being to the people around him. And when we get to the story of the Israelites enslaved in Egypt, God sees Moses as he hears the cries of the Israelites and reaches out to Moses. And Moses takes up this call and he responds to God's word. And as a result, we have these amazing narratives and poems and songs telling of God's story in the first couple of books of the Bible. And we, we have these stories of how God is great and how he rescued the Israelites, how he had brought them up out of Egypt. And very early on in this narrative, God tells Moses why he would do this. In Exodus 6, verse 6 to 7, I'm just going to read it. It says, God says to Moses, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. God did these amazing things and partnered with people in his story so that they could simply be his so that he could have relationship with them, so that the Israelites could be his and he could be theirs. But as the story of Eden shows us, humanity struggles to choose what is good for themselves. I struggle to choose what's good for myself. Yesterday we were all on the beach together. Um, it was a great time. I swam. Apparently that's not a thing you do in the cold water in PE, but I'm from Joburg and we don't have a beach. Um, but we're on the beach and I'm about to open my book and read because that's what I do. And Jake turns to me and he's like, do you want to go for a jog? 
And I laugh at I laugh at his face because this is not something I do. I don't run. I don't exercise. And Jake is insistent. He's like, no, let's go for a jog. Like, let's go jog on the beach. And I'm like, oh, okay, laughing the entire time, thinking he's gonna like jog and be like, okay, I'm done, as a joke. And we jog, like probably two kilometers. I don't know. 20 kilometers, yeah, totally. Yeah. We jog, and I am like hating every moment of it, only doing it because Jake is literally pushing me from behind me. And I'm like, why are we doing this? And even now, going back, I'm like, I probably wouldn't choose that again. Even though I know it's good. We know that physical exercise is of some value, but I struggle to choose what's good for me, and I probably won't choose that again. But just as I struggle to choose exercise, the Israelites struggle to choose God. And we struggle to choose a God who would create a good world for us. Um, the Israelites struggled to choose the same God who redeemed them out of slavery out of Egypt. They complained against him. They built idols and worshipped those idols instead of God. They continually disobeyed, yet God's heart stayed the same. Just as he was in Eden, so he was in Exodus. He wanted to walk with his people. But just as we were in Eden, so we were in Exodus, and we're sinful. And as we know, God is holy, 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 as we sang, and he cannot be in contact with sin. And so God, in his immense wisdom and design of our world, um, brought about a little pocket of heaven on earth and designed the tabernacle. And so the tabernacle is something that I love. And in Exodus 25, verse 8, it talks about God's design for the tabernacle and his intention for what it should be. And it reads, Then let them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. This scripture is followed by seven chapters of describing what the tabernacle should be. And every single scripture is incredibly um, like detailed, and it's very well intentioned for what the space should be. And he's de- God is describing the place where God can dwell amongst his people again, like he did in Eden, where he could walk with them, not only in the cool of the day, as Eden describes, but wherever they would walk. Yeah. And the tabernacle, like I said, is a fascinating thing. I, I love it. Um, it's extremely detailed. Um, everything is so intentionally put there. It was this big tent placed in a courtyard, and the entrance of the tent faced east, which, if you read through the story of the Bible, is where Eden was. It was beautifully colorful, and all the colors in the tabernacle, the blue, red, purple, and white, they were all images and symbols speaking of how God's world was bleeding into earth. Um, and even like even in the tabernacle, there are these natural images placed there. Gold was hammered into a lampstand, but it had to resemble almond flowers, and this lampstand would give life to the entire tabernacle. Pomegranates were sewn into the hems of the high priests. And so even in the tabernacle, we have imagery of a garden, of a garden where you could connect with God. And so this space was then essentially a little Eden that they could carry with them as they traveled. It was the small intersection between heaven and earth that the Israelites could be a part of. And that's why seven chapters were needed to describe it and another six chapters explaining how they did it because God needed this to be what it was. God was trying to let them have Eden. He broke through the barriers between heaven and earth through this tabernacle so that his holy presence could be there. Now as time went on and the Israelites established themselves in the promised land, A portable tabernacle wasn't needed anymore, and so Solomon decided to build a temple, a building that could stand firm and stay there. 
And as Solomon built this and it was established and he prayed this prayer of dedication, he said to God, I have built this magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. And so the hope for the Israelites at that stage was that this temple could be God's permanent dwelling place. That he didn't have to move about anymore as the Israelites moved, but that he could stay there solid forever. But just as with the tabernacle, the imagery of the temple was also reminiscent of Eden. It was full of wood, and the wood was carved with images of open flowers and gourds and palm trees. And so since the beginning of time, there has always been only one space where God has dwelled among his people. It has been Eden, the one space where God could be. It was the tabernacle, the one space where God could dwell. And then now here, it's the temple. And although Israel believed that the temple would stand forever, it would be the permanent dwelling place of God, um, God was not done writing his story. The temple, just as the tabernacle, was always meant to be temporary. God wouldn't really, he's not going to settle for just like a subpar recreation of Eden. He wanted more. And so since then, he's been laying the foundations of what would come next. So turn on over to Ephesians chapter 2. And what does come next? So we have this beautiful Eden so far, where God is walking in the cool of the day. He is with his people. His people are designed to just reflect him. And this should go on for eternity of this perfect place where God wants his people to be. Uh, but then by the human will, heaven was shoved out of earth, mm. and now we're left with this place where uh, humans are ruling each other instead of ruling just over creation the way God wanted it to be. Yeah. And then so God builds this little place, the tabernacle, where he could move with his people. Mm. And that could be the one place where heaven and earth could kind of, could kind of break in. And then that, he made it permanent in the temple, where heaven could exist in that place. But God didn't want it to stay right there. Mm. And now we have the church. Who wants to read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22? Who can read that for us? It's Ephesians 2, verse 19 through 22. Yeah, go for it. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. The church is becoming the temple that's on earth. And what, what did Abigail say the temple was? It was where God existed. It was a resemblance of Eden. It was a remembrance of that perfect place that existed. We are becoming the temple where God is deciding to dwell. This is koinonia. This is the church. This is the community. The church is the modern day moving temple where we can represent God to anyone that decides to look at us. Eden was that place where heaven and earth was together. The tabernacle was the place where heaven and earth was together. And the temple was the place where heaven and earth was together. And so right now in this room, it's designed to be the place where heaven and earth are together and where you reflect God perfectly. But I want to address a mindset that happens way too often in the church. It's where we become individualistic and we think it's about my relationship with God. 
Haven't you even heard or come across people, or maybe you were that person one time, where you're like, I like God, but I'm not sure about the church. That doesn't make sense in the story of the Bible. You cannot like God and not like the church. Because God is living in the church. There's no other place he's existing except for with his people in the church. Sometimes you look at the Bible as a rule book. I want to make sure I'm above the line. I follow the things to make sure I'm good enough. That is not what the Bible is about. It's about God building his community of people so he can dwell with them. It's not, it's not an idea of, I want to make sure that I am on the straight and narrow, make sure that my life is, is good enough to, to qualify for the straight and narrow. It's about a community of people coming together so that God can exist among them. The Bible was never a book about passing the test of life or passing the test of earth so that we can go to a better place as a reward. It's about partnering with God as he builds that place right now. With you guys in this room. But it's become so normal to view this world in the lens of me and what I want. Something that really stuck out to me was, uh, was, during, was during COVID. You guys remember COVID? Yeah, yeah I forgot. Remember how we, uh, we would do Zoom meetings all the time and such? And church was a Zoom meeting and work was a Zoom meeting. And uh, hanging out with friends was a Zoom meeting. You know, everything was a Zoom meeting. And uh, I find myself so often on those calls... You know, there's, there's everyone's square. You can see everyone's camera. Some people keep their camera off. But so many times during the meeting, I'm looking at my square, myself. You know, oh, what, why is there a shadow right there on my face? And Am I, am I really that shiny? And then, oh, man. Or like, how's the angle? Why is there bad lighting in the background? I'm always, I'm looking at my square amongst this meeting that could be about absolutely anything. And then so you end up turning your camera off. And you know, oh, man, I can't. Like this whole time we're focusing on myself and we can do that with the church we have we're building eating right here god is partnering with us he's trying to live with us and we're thinking about okay what am i going to do after church or how's my room why are we making everything about ourselves when this is the whole building coming together to become the temple the scripture here is indicating that god wants to live among us let's end in first corinthians chapter three the church is a modern temple. Amen? Amen. First Corinthians chapter 3, I'm going to read verse 16 and 17. It says, Don't you know that you yourselves, that y'all, are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? So if anyone destroys God's temple, God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and together you are that temple. If the temple is really the place where God decides to live amongst us and show his presence to the world, that is technically the greatest place to live in existence. And that's what we're trying to do right now. We're trying to be the temple of God. And that's why it's sacred. That's why Paul is saying here, you cannot destroy the temple. Because it is humanity's chance to be brought back to God. It is God's decision to live through the temple to save humanity. You cannot mess this thing up. And so this is a little scary. And uh, I'll let you biblically investigate this one. But, uh, But you could say that God cares more for the temple, for the church, than he does for you individually. You could even say that God loves the church and his temple... More than he loves you individually. 
Now, if that is true, how does that change your approach to church? How does that change the way you want to serve the community right here? How does that change your mindset about one another relationships and the importance of them? How does that change your mindset about being in a discipling relationship to unify each other? How does that change the way you encourage people in the church or listen to discipline? You and I are each bricks of this temple that God is building. And in order for this to work, I have to look out for you. And you have to look out for me. I have to call you out when I see something. And you have to call me out when you see me doing something. I have to encourage you to be an integral part of the community. And you have to pull me in if you see me falling away. And sadly, I've seen so many people miss this idea. They get hurt by the church. They get hurt by a leader. And they say, you know, I'm out. But there really should be no way of saying I'm out when it comes to building the temple. So with this in mind, how how are you doing working with people that hurt you? How are you doing when someone tells you that you're the one that hurt them? How are you doing working with people that are different than you? How are you doing with working with people that think differently than you? Or have different processes in you? Are you thinking of how can we together be the temple? Or is it just about, I don't think I like this. I'm going to leave this temple. Earlier I asked about the main point of Christianity. And I think this story is the main point of Christianity. Taking Eden back into this world. Taking the tabernacle and giving it to everyone. Building the temple as strongly and in as many places as God allows it. To build heaven here. And the beauty of doing this well is that you, in this room right now, get to exist on heaven, in heaven, on earth. It's Eden, it's the temple, it's the church, and this is God's cosmic story. A fight to be with you. Amen. Amen. Um, I hope that we take this to heart, take the challenges to heart, but also see the beauty of the story. Um, And I think the amazing thing about this is that the one thread that is pulled throughout this entire story of the narrative of the Bible is Jesus. In the garden, as God proclaims his curse on the serpent, as as the serpent had tempted humans, it says in Genesis 3 verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In the tabernacle and the temple, sacrifices had to be brought daily to atone for the sins of Israel. Firstborn lambs were consistently slaughtered, paving the path to God's presence with their blood. For only through sacrifice could humanity be with God. And now finally in the church, we see Jesus fulfilling that prophecy and becoming our final sacrifice and rebuilding a new temple. Jesus crushed death's head. He crushed the head of Satan, but he suffered death himself. And in his death, we can finally have eternal communion with our God. His blood, the blood of God's firstborn son, covers the path to God's presence. Jesus has died for God to be able to dwell with us permanently, not in a physical building, but within our lives. Jesus has died so that we might be God's little slice of heaven on earth. 
I pray that we remember him and his sacrifice, his love, and his hope for us to be this temple. I'm going to pray for the communion, um, and then we can eat of the bread and the wine together. Let's pray. Father God, good morning. God, thank you so, so much for this amazing divine story that you have written. And thank you that you have written it for us to be a part of it. God, thank you so much for your love and your kindness and your grace and your mercy. Thank you that you, thank you, that you have been consistent in those things. Thank you that even though we have given you every reason to give up on us, you still say the same. God, thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice. I pray that we remember what he has done so that we are able to live in communion with you. I pray for our family of church, Lord. I pray for our little community. Um, I pray that we're able to live out your character to the world and bring them into that space together. I pray that we can look inward to see how we can do this better, but also look outward to our community to see how we can do this better. God, thank you for your love and your kindness and your grace, and I pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.